0: Good morning, Celebration Center. So good to be here with you. Diving in, we've been in a series called the Do Nots, and we're gonna pull out of that and just kind of land on a couple specific things for the next few weeks. Um, and mainly, the, the heart of what we're gonna land on is really just kind of the heart of how and why we do this thing we do when we get together and do church and live out what the Word says. And uh, so, for the next couple of weeks, we're just gonna pull out some some really key principles. How do we do this well? How do we do this thing that God called us to do? How do we be the church? How do we be Celebration Center? And what does this look like as it works itself out in our uh, neighborhood and in our families and in our homes? And uh, I'm, I'm pretty excited. This isn't really a series. This is more of a value. And so uh, so I just wanted to kind of walk us into the value uh, today. And what's funny is whenever you have a value, um, it's always important how you word it. So I have reworded this title of this message probably half a dozen times and then last night at about 11 o'clock at night I threw the whole message away and started over from scratch which is not my personality type to do that and uh, and so I think the Lord just finally kind of helped me clarify and get a picture of what this value really looks like in action and so um if I babble a little bit today, then I apologize. I might not be quite as sharp as, as I always um, at least try to be, even if, if you haven't thought that, at least I'm trying. But, uh, <laughs> but I'm, be- I'm just believing that this is something that the Lord really has for us for today. And so if you have Bibles, uh, you can get to John 13. I'm going to be there in just a moment. But I want to talk a little bit about what it means to love like Jesus. About what it means to love like Jesus and, uh, and I want to just talk about this value that says there is a thing that we're called to do, to love, and then there's a way that we're called to do it, like Jesus. And we're going we're to gonna kind of talk about what does that mean, uh, especially from this text in John 13. And I was thinking about how important it is to have role models, people that we look up to and model our lives after. And I was trying to think of who were some of the great role models in my life. And I, I bet if you thought about it, there'd be some people that popped up into your heart, into your mind, as you thought about people who were great role models for you, specifically role models, not just people you're like, oh, they're awesome, but people you're like, I, can, I, can, I want to be like them, not just do I respect them. I remember um, when I was growing up, there was an athlete, I think it was Charles Barkley, and he had a whole commercial series about, I am not a role model, Parents, raise your own kids. I'm an athlete, you know, and it was like permission to be, I don't know, kind of a knucklehead. Uh, (laughs) But it was also true that there, there is a need for role models, and we need people who we model our lives after. Now, I grew up without a father figure picture that was really stable or in the picture. And so I was constantly looking for role models, people that I wanted to be like. And for me, a lot of that I shifted to my cousin's. Cause I had older guy cousins, and I thought, they'll teach me how to be a man. And so I learned things from them. I learned, you know, things like men don't cry. Come on now, right? I learned, uh, okay, I'll tell you a funny story. I'm, 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 I'm learning how to hit a baseball, right? And So they're teaching me how to hit a baseball, my cousin Danny, and I uh, love him, Danny, if you ever listen to this. Um, <laughs> Danny was a teenager when I was like an eight-year-old, so he had about eight or ten years on me, give or take. And we're in the backyard, and we're, you know, he got a little tire that if you throw it in the tire, it's a strike. And, you know, I got like a wiffle ball bat, and he's got a tennis ball. And Danny was like one of those stud athletes. He could throw really hard. He could just do everything well. And he's trying to teach me how to hit a ball without being scared, but I'm eight, so I'm scared because he's throwing hard. So he throws one in, and I close my eyes. He's like, don't close your eyes. I'm like, okay. So I'm trying to be a man, right? I haven't seen anyone be a man before. I'm up there, and I'm tough. So the next pitch comes in and just nails me, like right in the neck, right? He's like, every time you flinch, the next pitch is right at your head. And I was like... Okay, you guys are like, oh, you're getting child abuse. Well, that's that's how I raced, right? (laughs) Let me tell you, by about the fourth one that bounced off me, I was not gonna flinch no matter what. And here's Danny, just teach me how to be a man, right? And so, so what's funny is you just pick it up wherever you can pick it up, and you look for people who will pour into your life. And then, so I remember, you know, for me, my this group of my older cousins, they were just they were the they were the guys, and I wanted to be like them. Well, I got a little bit older, and I started hitting my early, like, 12-, 13-year-old years, and I saw the way that they began to, I was old enough now to pick up the way that they treated the women in their life. They weren't great at it. And I would meet these gals that they'd bring over and talk with them, and because of my personality and my nature, I would just befriend all of them. Hey, how's it going? I'd become friends. And then it was just a matter of days until they were sobbing, crying, leaving the house because my knucklehead cousins were just not nice dudes. And I began to go, oh, I don't want that. I like these humans that they're bringing into the house. I don't want to be that. So some of the role modeling things that I picked up, just like maybe you picked up, are what not to do because of that. And so we start forming our values and start forming the way that we're going to behave based on the pictures that we see. And some of them are great. And some of them are awful. And sometimes great and awful existed in the same person. And we had to kind of sift through and say, I want to take this piece that was good, and I want to reject this piece that was not so good. And so we start looking for how to do that. And then we hit a phase of life, come on, grownups, where we realize we are somebody's role model. We're their favorite aunt or their favorite uncle. We're the cool cousin or the cool... Uh, 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 a parent even, or the cool surrogate parent, or the cool neighbor, or maybe we actually are the parent. And then we're not trying as much to be cool. (laughs) We're just trying to get it done. I remember the first time I realized I had a little set of eyes watching everything I did. I remember the first time something came out of the mouth of one of those set of eyes that was out of my mouth, that was repeated that I was like, I don't like the way that sounds out of you. I felt okay with it, but you can't do that. And I remembered the pressure that I felt and the tension that eyes were watching me. And what did they see? And then I realized on this whole journey with Jesus that all of a sudden I became a role model to people who were just trying to figure out how to live like Jesus. And sometimes I didn't sign up for that. Sometimes I just had a day job. I was just trying to work at the movie theater, and make my 975 an hour. Sometimes I was just trying to get things done. And there was this tension of eyes looking at me because I was outed in my faith. And I was like, oh, how do I navigate this role model piece? So I wanna talk about that tension a little bit because I think we find it, you know, it just never goes away. We're constantly looking for someone to model our life after. And we're constantly aware that somebody sees us and what they see may be making their decision about their faith, their life, their behavior. So we walk into this tension and God's like, it's okay, I got this. I got the answer for you. I'm going to help you figure this piece out. If you look in the scriptures, I'm going to be in John chapter 13 in just a moment. But I love that this whole, this whole idea, it, it trends throughout all of scripture, that there is a model that God is trying to create for us to see how to do it so that we can reproduce that so that others can see through us how to do it. Paul says it this way. He says uh, in 1 Corinthians 11, very simple. He goes, hey, follow my example as I follow the example of Christ. It's very clear. It's a lot of pressure, but it's very clear because Paul's example is brutal at times, he walks through some tough things. At one point, he's in Philippians. Uh, in Philippians, he's in prison and he's in jail, and he's like, "This is great because people are coming to know Jesus." Man, that's a hard example to follow. I like the idea of following your example as long as your life is going like according to plan. But how does that look when life's not going according to plan? when you've been stripped of freedoms or entitlements, when relationships have blown up, when things aren't going the way you wish they would, when work hasn't worked out how you wish that it would, when your financial situation isn't where you wish it would would be, when your health situation isn't where you wish it would be, when all of those things are going on, can you still declare, hey, it's cool, follow my example as I follow Christ? Woo, it gets a little tougher. It's like, hey, follow my example when I'm doing well. That's the one, right, parents? Do as I say. Don't use that one, guys. (laughs) Not as I do. So we get to John chapter 13. And Jesus lands the plane. I'm going to work from the back, and then I'm going to come back forward. But he lands the plane with this incredible statement in John chapter 13, at the end of John chapter 13, verse 34. He says, listen, a new command I give you. Love one another as I have loved you, so you must love one another. And then he says something beautiful. He goes, by this all men will know that you're my disciples if you love one another. He says, if you get this piece right, then that role model thing will happen naturally. You won't have the pressure of how to execute it. If you understand this piece, how you love one another, the way I have loved you, if you do that, then everyone will know. And then I take that you know, out of my, just my personal life and out of my kids and and out of my neighborhood. And I take it into the body of Christ. And I go, you know what? Can you imagine if we got that piece right? Can you imagine if we just nailed that piece? If that was like our bullseye that we were aiming for, hey, we're going to love one another like Jesus loved us. Not only are we, we're going to do it because we know that we must. And suddenly all men, you want to know how to affect this community, this neighborhood? you want to know how to affect people who maybe are outside of your immediate circle of influence, but you see them on a daily basis? He goes, they're going to know if you do this part right. So I'm going to walk into how to do this part right. Because here's the thing. I love that he says, this is a command. You know, we were walking through the series of the the do nots and we were kind of joking about the times when Jesus just says, hey, 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 don't do that. That thing you're about to do, don't don't do that. That's not a win. Don't, Don't do that. There are a few times where he's like, This is what you do do, right? He's like, come on, guys, do this part right. And this is one of those times. He says, this is a command. Now, I love this because it flies in the face of how we usually deal with love. Because we usually do love as a choice. And we usually do love as a feeling, Like, I've, you know, usually love requires some exchange of relationship and commitment and and values being shared. And suddenly Jesus is like, hey, this part's not optional. This part isn't up to your feelings. This part isn't because there's a fair exchange. This part isn't even emotional. And you're like, well, Pastor Mike, how do I divest my love and my emotions? Well, we're gonna walk through that in, in just a moment here. But he's like, this isn't emotional. Some of us only learn how to love emotionally. We only learn how to love based on our feelings. We only really learn how to love on, you made me feel good, I wanna make you feel good. I got warm fuzzies, I want you to have warm fuzzies, right? That, and, and like love got just shrunk down and then, and then here's what happens. Well, I fell out of love with you. I don't feel it anymore. I don't feel the same way. I don't feel what I used to feel towards you. I don't have the same affection that I used to have for you. What's going on there? Oh, See, I I turn love into an emotional thing. And Jesus is like, "Mm -mm, this is a command thing. Like, okay, well, what do you mean? Well, in order to understand that, we're going to back up to the top of John chapter 13 and figure out what starts this conversation that lands on a command to love. I'm going to give you the answer before I give you all of the information. So some of you can just stop paying attention after I give you the answer. But I'm going to give you the answer. And some of you like to have the answer, and so now you can relax because you have the answer, and then we can just walk through. But what does it mean to love like Jesus? What does it mean to love like Jesus? In this text that we're going to walk through, we're going to learn a couple things. And the first thing that we're going to learn is that to love like Jesus, we love without giving up. It's a love that goes all the way to the end. It doesn't give up. It doesn't tap out. It doesn't say, I tried, and then I'm out. To love like Jesus, we love people who are messy. This one's hard. We'll break this down a little bit. We love people who are messy. We love people who are broken. We love people who aren't uh, uh, all put together in a nice, lovable, compartmentalized thing. It's easy to love someone who's perfect. It's easy. If you're perfect, I can just love you. You just meet all my needs perfectly. You understand me. Perfect. I don't know about you. I don't hang out with any perfect people. So, if I have to have someone be perfect, then I don't have to love anybody. Some of you are like, I'm pretty close to perfect, and we hang out. (laughs) We love people who are messy. The next piece to love like Jesus, we got to be willing to take action. We got to be willing to activate. We got to be willing to put some work in. We got to be willing to serve. We gotta be willing to bless, to be an agent of that. We can't sit back, put people to the test, wait for them to take the first step, take action, and say, prove it, and then I'll love. Where's my love provers out there? You're out there, I know. I'll love you, but first you prove. Prove that you're loyal. Prove that you won't let me down. Prove that you're worthy of my love. Prove that you really care about me. Prove it. Jesus says, no, 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 we're the people who take action. And then the last thing, and we'll land the plane here in a little bit. We wanna tell people the truth. Loving someone tells them the truth. It's honest with them. I got a lot of love avoiders. We're just like, ah, I just love them, so I just don't have to be honest with them because it's going to create tension that I don't really want to deal with. But that's not really loving. And Jesus is going to model for us that people who are in a love relationship are honest with each other, even if it's tough, even if someone doesn't get it. We're going to be people who tell the truth. So I'm about to land in John chapter 13, verse 1. But I want to tell you what's happening in this story. In this story, in John chapter 13, verse 1, we're about to see what happens when uh, the disciples are getting ready for the Last Supper. And uh, and Jesus is going to wash some feet. And you know the story. But before we get there, you have to know what's happening on the road before they walk into the home. And to do that, you're not going to see that in John. You're actually going to see it in Luke, because Luke tells the story. Um, and he picks up the tension that has happened on the road. So the disciples are walking, and they're together. And an argument breaks out, a little tense argument. The peacock feathers are all kind of up, and the fellas are looking at each other, and they're like, okay, which one of us is the greatest? Luke 22, verse 24 it says, "...a dispute among them arose as to which was to considered to be the greatest." Now, just think about that for a second. Three years of walking around with Jesus, and the big tension is hey, which one of us is more awesome? Which one of us' opinion holds more weight? Which one of us has more wisdom? Which one of us is sharper? Which one has more authority? We're all hanging out, but what's our pecking order? Right? Jesus took a couple guys up on the mountain. Are they the greatest? Who are the ones that he's really going to hand things off to? Because they still haven't figured out that this isn't going to be some kind of a military coup, uh, political restructuring. They're still jockeying for earthly authority and position. And they think that's going to translate into heavenly authority and position. So it's a double win. So they got into an argument. And Jesus said to them, hey, the kings of the Gentiles... Lord it over them, but those who exercise authority over them call themselves benefactors or are considered, uh, yeah, call themselves benefactors. Now that is capitalized because it's a title. Basically, he's saying people who assume positional authority take control and say, well, I'm doing it for everybody else's good. And they take that, come on, you know this is true. I have to take control and authority, but I'm really just doing it for your own good because you would mess this all up if you were in control of your own life. And he's saying, that's the way the earth tries to tell you that it works, verse 26. But you are not to be like that. That's pretty powerful. He's like, that's not how we structure. There isn't a group of elite who say, oh, you guys don't know how to do this. Let us take control and manipulate you into behavioral modification. He says, that's not how you do it. He says, instead, in our system, whoever wants to be great should be like the youngest and the one who rules like the one who serves. He says, we're not gonna lead in a controlling, manipulative way. We're gonna lead in a serving, empowering way. Now, this has rocked their boat a little bit. Because they were having a little tiff. Jesus walked into the tiff and he's like, you guys are totally off. You've totally made this about something that doesn't even in my kingdom uh, accounting make sense. And since that doesn't make any sense, I'm gonna have to school you. And then immediately they walk in to this dinner. And so we pick up in John chapter 13. And it was just before the Passover festival, verse one. And Jesus had knew that the hour had come for him to leave this world and go to the father having loved his own who were in the world. Now listen to this. He loved them to the end. How cool is that picture? How cool is it that John, when he thought about this situation and he's like, scribbling down what's happened here and he's in the room and he says, Hey, Jesus understood something that we didn't even understand, that this thing was, was co- the end of his time was about to happen. And we're outside and we're like this, are you the greatest? You're not the greatest. I'm the greatest. I'm taller. I got better hair. I look better than you. i like like, you know, I have more authority. When I pray, more things happen. You know, God, he, I, they're having this conversation and Jesus walks into the room and he looks around and he's like, man, my time is almost up and this is where we're at. He some big egos, some hard hearts. He says, you know what I'm gonna do? I'm gonna love them. I'm going to love them all the way to the end. Now this isn't a new concept. God has instituted this principle of love that went beyond the moment throughout the scriptures. One one great example is in Jeremiah. Um, in, in Jeremiah, was it 31? Uh, he goes, It says, You know, the Lord appeared to us in the past, saying, I have loved you with an everlasting love. I have drawn you with my loving kindness. God has set up throughout all of the scriptures this narrative that the love that he has for us it's not a temporal, momentary, based on the moment and the actions of that moment. That's not how God loves. So when Jesus demonstrates this, I'm going to love you through the end, this is consistent with the character and the heart of God. So they're bickering, they're fighting, they sh- kind of come in, they're jockeying. Can you imagine, you know, I, I, you know the, the Leonardo da Vinci picture of the Last Supper is kind of a, a cheesy picture because it's just this really, really long table. And, you know, you can just imagine. But but most of the households at that time, they didn't have tables like that. They would To get that large of a crowd would be more like a U-shaped table. And so they, they would have been jockeying for position, trying to, get to the position of honor, trying to establish that. Now, in the text, we're going to see where some of the key players are sitting. We know that John, uh, because he refers to himself as the disciple that uh, Jesus loves or the beloved disciple, which is great. If you're writing a story about you and Jesus and you want to call yourself awesome, the beloved one, I would do it. So I'm, I'm okay with that. And, so, and so, uh, so we know that he's positionally right next to Jesus, and he wants us to know that. And we also know that the other person who is in position close to Jesus is Judas, because he's able to dip into the cup and reach over and hand it to Judas. So at least in this table, those are the people who end up positioned the closest to Jesus, which is just kind of fascinating in the, in the picture of your Last Supper picture of what's happening. I want you to kind of see. Those are the facts that we know because they're inside of the text. Everything else is just interpretation. But here's Jesus, and he says, hey, here's the thing I want you to get. We're the people who love without giving up. My time, is, my time is almost there. He knows he's about to head to the cross. He spent three years with these guys, and after three years of being close to the heart of Jesus, the thing that they found to be concerned about was who's the greatest. That would be discouraging. That would be like, oh, come on. We've been through all of this, and that was your big takeaway, is to somehow jockey for position to be the greatest. But he looks at them, and he goes, I'm going to love you to the end. I'm going to love you through whatever it is. And you know, we've had these kind of relationships, people that we cared for, and you're just like, man, they just, I wish the switch would flip. I wish they would suddenly come online and become more compassionate. I wish they would come online and deal with whatever the thing is the are in there. But we know that our assignment is to love people all the way through. So though they may flip the switch on us and say, you're out, we're the people who don't ever flip the switch on them and say, we've permission to stop loving you. Does that mean we don't have boundaries? No, we're gonna see boundaries in here. Does that mean that we, you know, we, uh, we just keep on letting someone be in an abusive position of power? No, that's not the case at all. But what we never get to do is say, that's all I have for you, I'm done. I don't love you anymore. We don't get to do that. So, I don't feel like I'm in love. Well, love's not a feeling. Stop making it a feeling. Love's a command. It's a, it's a command. It's a hey, you can do this. How I did this. I can imagine Jesus not feeling super great in that moment. He's about to break down who's going to betray him, he's about to break down the cross and what's going to happen next. And he's dealing with a group of guys who are jockeying for positional authority. I could could see him going, dude, God, seriously, can I get a do-over? Can we give me another group of guys and we'll try this again? Right? Some of us want that. We're like, God, I just need a do-over. I can't handle the the relationships that I've had, the people that have been in my life. I just, I need this isn't going to work. God's like, hey, we're the people who love without giving up. We don't give up on people. The body of Christ, the reflection of his heart are the people who love without giving up on people. Now, does that, again, does that mean we empower them? No, not if what they're doing is destructive. Does it mean that we enable them? No, not if what they're doing is destructive. Does it mean we don't have boundaries? No, of course we have boundaries. Does it mean we don't apply wisdom to our love? No, of course we do that. But we never get to flip the switch and say, no matter what, I don't love you anymore. When that comes out, you've crossed the line and you've disobeyed this command. I'm just giving it to you. We're the people who love people to the end. We don't give up. (laughs) Let's get going. That was verse one. That was pretty good, huh? Verse two. So the evening meal's in progress, and the devil had already prompted Judas, the son of Simon Iscariot, to betray Jesus. What did that? Do you remember that? There was a perfume incident. Some expense got wasted. He looked around and said, this isn't worth it. This isn't, we're not building equity and wealth. We're not building earthly status the way I think we should build earthly status. You know what? I'm out. And Judas's heart got hard and he made a decision for a few coins, significant amount to tap out. So that the devil had already prompted Judas, the son of Simon Iscariot, to betray Jesus. And Jesus knew that the Father had put all things under his power and that he had come from God and was returning to God. What is that? He knew he was about to be betrayed, but he also knew he had all the power and authority while he was right here in this moment. He could change the course of history. So he gets up from the meal, and then he takes off his outer clothing, and he wraps a towel around his waist. I was tempted to do this. Someday when I'm in better shape, I'll, I threatened my wife last night. I'm like, I'm going to bring you up front and wash your feet. And she's like, You are not. And I was like, I'm going to listen to you. <laughs> he wrapped a towel around his waist. And after that, he poured water into a basin. And he began to wash his disciples' feet. And he was drying them with a the towel that was wrapped around him. Can you get the picture here? He's wearing a towel. He's washing their feet, and then he's using the towel that he's wearing to dry their feet. Can you imagine the intimacy and the closeness and the nearness of what's going on there? And then he comes to Simon Peter, who said to him, Lord, are you going to wash my feet? Now, I want you to catch something, because all the disciples are here. But we only see two names in the story. Only two clear names are called out, Judas and Peter. And the next 24 hours are going to be very rough on these two men. They're going to have the hardest next 24 hours except for Jesus. And I was just struck by this as I was spending time in the text that God, when he demonstrates his love, he tells us we're the people who love people who are messy, We love people who are messy. We don't get to cherry pick the people that we love. We don't get to go, ah, oh, too much on this one. I'm going to sh- jump over to this one. Yeah, this one connects. We love people who are messy. Look at how messy the people in the room really are. One of them is literally about to sell out his savior, understanding that it's going to lead to death. For three years, he's walked with this guy in the closest proximity. He was so trusted that he managed the funds and the resources, and he's about to sell him out for money. And Jesus has him in the room, and he loves him. Now, listen, I'm going to be honest with you. There are some of us in the room that someone betrays us like this much, and we're just like, I hope they end up in hell right? They cost me the promotion that I wanted. They cost me the parking space that I wanted. I don't know. what. It, and your switch flips, come on now, so quick to saying, I, you know, I, I, you could just wish, the, okay, I'm going to tell you a story that's going to be really embarrassing, but I'm just going to tell you the, story, the truth of this, okay? So, so we got people in the neighborhood who walk their dogs all over the property. And I'm okay and semi-friendly with dogs, but they've been messing all over the property. And sometimes right by the door and I walk out and I'm just like, so I have had like to restrain myself when I see, because I got windows, right? I see people walking property and I'm like, that's the one, that's the one. And my switch starts flipping and I'm like, oh man, if that, if they don't have a bag with them, I'm going to, you know, I, they're going to meet California Mike. I'll just, I'll say it that way. And I've had to catch my heart and go, man, I don't want to do that, but I am tired of shoveling. what but we love people who are messy I want to demonstrate love to messy people I want to do that I want that to be my heart but come on we know we all have that instinct as soon as someone's messing up our world we flip as soon as there's some betrayal in there we flip as soon as it seems really difficult we flip I had a youth kid years ago and uh, he was one of my hardest kids you always have some that are just specially hard when they're in their teenage years. And he was creatively hard. He was the kid who was like, I have a cool idea after church. I'm gonna pour gasoline down the drain pipe of the, of the storm drain and light it and we'll blow fireballs into the parking lot. That's the kid, right? And so I get a phone call because I've already gone home. They came back and were like, let's hang out at the church. I have a cool idea. Let's do this. And their fireballs are blowing out the front of the church. And an elder drives by and calls me. And when I'm at home, it's like, do you have a youth event going on right now that has fire involved? Because I think I recognize the kids that are out here. But I'm like, no, there's nothing happened. Tell them no, right? This is the kid. Challenging. Special kind of Challenging bring him on event he's just gonna do his own thing it doesn't matter what like hey we're all gonna be here he's like i'm just gonna do wherever i want to be and then we're looking for him and it's just an adventure so we get to his senior year and i gotta tell you my adult staff are just like finally we're at his end of his run and he asked me for a meeting i'm like that's kind of weird okay i'm like what'd you do (laughs) and he goes pastor mike i think i want to intern here next year I'm like, are you kidding me? You haven't been in a whole youth group service your entire high school career. I never know where you are or what you're doing. I always find out later. Like, how is this gonna be a good choice? And I looked at him and I was like, oh, this is gonna be messy. But if we're gonna take a shot on people, if we're gonna say we believe in people, we're gonna do this. So I pulled my team together and I was like, listen, this guy wants to do an internship. I had a riot on my hands. They're like, how can you take on somebody who is this destructive and this difficult and this hard? And, and, and you know, I'm tell- I wish I was making the story up. There's so many other things I thought about saying, but they're so inappropriate. I just want, didn't want them on the podcast. <laughs> so I sit down with them, and I'm like, listen, I'm going to choose to believe in you, and we're going to give this a shot. And he started his internship, and right after he started his internship, I had a trip, and I was going out of town. I was like, you don't have to come in. We'll get started afterwards. And I went out of town. I was out of town for five days, and when I got back, this fresh-out-of-high-school student had scraped all the popcorn off the ceiling in my office, retextured it, pulled all the fixtures down, built me a file cabinet, got desk and office furniture donated from a local company and completely remodeled put recessed lighting in rewired the place this is the guy that he was right and and i came back and i was like what has happened in here and he's like what and then it clicked and i was like i understand this is how he says i love you and thank you That guy works for our denomination now and helps churches all over the West Coast set up their technology, build their systems. He goes and helps and plans. He is in church after church after church. He just Mm -hmm. built almost an entire church in Oregon from scratch for them for nothing. Why? It was messy, but someone just needed to love him. And he was wired differently. He's never gonna come up to the front and be like, I love everybody. That's not gonna be his thing. But you get out of his way, and he would demonstrate his love for God and his love for people in completely different ways. Best risk I ever took. Best risk I ever took. We love people who are messy. Let's keep going. Verse 7. Jesus replied, oh, because Peter asked him, Lord, are you going to wash my feet? Jesus replied, you don't realize now what I'm doing, but later you'll understand. No, said Peter, You shall never wash my feet. I love Peter. Is there anyone in the scripture that told Jesus no more than Peter? I don't even think the Pharisees told him no more than Peter did. He's just like, no, you'll never do this. Jesus answered, hey, unless I wash you, you'll have no part with me. Then Lord Simon Peter replied, not just my feet, but my hands and my head as well. Here's the thing I want you to catch on to this. Jesus took an incredible level of action here. And we're the people who are willing to take action. (laughs) We're the people who are willing to get into the mud and love people, to serve people, to pick them up when they're down. We're the people who put feet on our faith and do what God's called us to do. And here's the thing. It always, always is a sacrifice to serve. It always costs us something. It costs us time. It costs us energy. It costs us financial resource. It always costs us something to serve. And here's my tension, because I think we feel tense about this. I think we see this and we go, well, I feel guilty because I would always love to do more, and I can't do everything, and my schedule, and my kids, and my job, and I can only do things. And here's the tension that I just want you to get. There are some things that each of us are just supposed to say yes to. And when it's your thing, we're the people who say yes to those things. Let me make that make sense. Every time you walk by someone and you see a need, you're not always supposed to be the person that fills that need. But sometimes you walk by someone, you'll see a need, and it will go, oh, yeah, I can do that. And that's the thing you're supposed to do. So I'm down in Oregon. i uh getting ready to speak at summer camp last year. And I uh, was with my family, and we had just driven down there, and there was crazy traffic, and I was grumpy. And I was like, we just need to eat some fast food so that we can go to the place where we're staying and not be as grumpy. So we pulled into a Carl's Jr. And I get out of the car, and I'm grumpy. Did I mention I was grumpy? (laughs) And my kids have been better than you can expect them to be, but I still didn't think they were being good enough. And we were trying to just get into Carl's Jr. and get some food so that, like, I could level off, get my blood sugar right, and just, like, be okay with the world again. And this guy walks over to our table and says, Hey, can I ask you something? And I was just like, No this is like, I haven't taken a bite yet. You need to just know. And I remember I had just had this moment. I'm like, I'm in Oregon. I don't live in Oregon anymore. I'm like, I don't care about anybody around here. Like, there's no, like, like I could just, I could just, uh, just leave me alone. I'm trying to keep my kids situated. I feel a little threatened because I got my kids here and I don't know what you want. And it's just, you're invading my circle and my space. And, you know, it turns out he just had a really basic question. It wasn't a big deal, but I had to catch myself and go, okay, breathe. Yeah, what can I do? He had a basic question. And then he asked me, he goes, are you guys traveling or something? <laughs> like, he could tell the tension or whatever. I was like, yeah. He goes, what are you doing? And I told him. So I began to just talk to him. And I was like, yeah, I'm in town. I'm going to preach. We're going to speak at a camp or whatever. He goes, you're a preacher? Said, yeah. So we start talking. And then, you know, you're having all these moments where it's kind of like, all right, God, are you doing something here? Because I really want to eat my sandwich. <laughs> And, and I feel the tension of my sandwich, and this guy hasn't caught the boundary thing that I'm trying to throw at him. I'm like in guard mode of my family. I don't know what's going on. You know, you're out, out of nowhere. And so finally, I just take a deep breath, and I'm like, all right, God, I think I'm supposed to engage. So I engage. I start having a conversation with him. I hear his story. He's in sales. He travels up and down the West Coast, too. he was been traveling. He was looking for a location. And it was an answer that I could give him, and we began talking. And then he's asking me about what I'm gonna talk about the next day, and I'm kind of telling him. And he goes, you know, I really think this could be like a, like a spiritual thing. He didn't have a good language for it. He goes, because I've, I just felt like I should go to a church and I haven't been to a church since I was a kid. And so I start talking to him and I'm like, okay, well, you should come, you know? And, uh, and I give him the information of where I'm gonna be preaching at that day, no big deal. I give him some contact information and tell him, yeah, you can call me or whatever. So the next morning, text me. And he's like, hey, pastor, and and it's very formal. He's like, sir, I would like to say, you know, he's like trying to figure out, he doesn't know how to interact with me, and I'm just normal. He's like, you know, he's wearing this, he's wearing this boundary, which is all great. He shows up. He responds during the message. Makes us faith commitment step to Jesus. Facebook friends me and begins just dialoguing with me on his story of how Jesus has done something in his life. And as he's been tried like a traveling salesman, as he goes to different cities now, he seeks out churches that have good. And and it's like just complete. Why? Because we take action. We're the group that takes action. We're the group. I can't say yes to everybody that walks up. Like sometime I'm going to have to take a bite of that sandwich or like it's going to be over, right? But, but we're the group that isn't too bothered, too busy to take action. Sometimes you can say yes. And when we can, we do. That's who we are. When we can't, we recognize we can't. The good Samaritan, there wasn't 13 Samaritans. He didn't get on the road and there was another 25 Samaritans. But there was one person and he knew he could help them and he did Maybe it's time we start learning to find the yes. Start finding the thing we can say yes to. We're so quick to to understand the no, but let's find the yes. Jesus says, we're the ones that take action. We're the ones that take action. John 13, verse 10, Jesus answered, oh, because Peter's like, hey, wash all of me. Then Jesus answered, those who have had a bath need only wash their feet and the whole body is clean. And you are clean, though not every one of you. Let me make this make sense for just a second here. Here's Jesus. And I got, I in their culture, there was a thing that they did. They had public baths, right? We're, we're talking about the, the way they could clean. And so what would happen is they would go to a public bath and they'd get clean, but then they'd walk home. And when you walk home, they didn't have shoes like we had. They wore sandals and they didn't have Dirt road or paved roads, they had dirt roads. So if you went and got a bath, you were clean. But by the time you got home, there was one thing that was no longer clean about you. It was your feet. So this is why it was normal in their culture before a big meal to wash feet. Because they would clean up, go to someone's house. But by the time they got there, their feet would then be dirty. Now, remember, they've just come off this argument over who's the greatest. Now, in their culture, in their home, this is what would happen. If they could afford it, they would have a servant or a slave, and it would be that person's job to wash the feet of any guest who came over because you would assume they had gotten clean before they came to the meal, but by now their feet are dirty. In lieu of that, whoever is of the lowest position would then take the position of foot washer, the child, the youngest, whoever that is. So here's this group who's just come off a little tiff over who's the greatest. They walk in to eat. Now, you also have to get one more picture. We think about the Last Supper, and we got, like, big royal chairs, and everybody's sprawled out. That's not how they ate in that culture. Everything was low to the ground. They didn't have a bunch of chairs. They sat on the ground, and they leaned on the table, and their legs are kind of folded, and their feet are behind them, and they lean in, and they eat like this with their right hand, right? Now, if you haven't washed your feet, but your whole body was clean... But now you're sitting like that on your muddy, dirty feet. You have a problem. You've been contaminated. So it was important to clean and wash your feet. So Jesus, seeing this group that has just been all tense, goes, oh, no one's going to step up, step down, and do this piece and wash feet. And then he explains to Peter, hey, you've been clean. You don't need me to give you a second bath. You've been washed clean. What you just need is me to take off today's dust, today's mess. What a picture of what Jesus does when he washes us clean and we're bathed, we're paid for, but we got today's mess on us. And so we come humbly with today's mess. Our salvation isn't on the line. We just got today's mess on us. And we get the privilege of coming to the savior and saying, hey, I got today's mess on me. Can you hook a brother up? Can you hook a sister up? And Jesus is demonstrating his willingness to do that. That's just a beautiful picture. That's free. Verse 11, for he knew who was going to betray him, and that's why he said not everyone was clean. Oh, here's where I was going with that. So so he flat out says, you don't need more than what I've already provided for you. You're clean. You just need, come on now, we're gonna wipe your feet a little bit, but not all of you are clean. This is important. Because he is not afraid in this moment to speak some truth. And we're the people who speak the truth. It would be so much more convenient to not press in and deal with the uncomfortable reality that someone in the room is really not clean. Someone's heart isn't good. Someone's behavior isn't aligning with, come on, their stated actions. And here's the thing that love creates tension for us so often is we think it's loving to let people get away or empower and enable sometimes people without confronting because we just don't want to, you know, oh, we just love them and it'll be okay. And we see that. Come on, parents, you know that. It's so hard to tough love when someone's a little out of control. It's so hard to tell someone sometimes the truth. And Jesus is saying, that's not love. Don't get your wires crossed. It is not More loving to be dishonest, to sweep something under the rug, to not deal with it. The kind of love I bring brings freedom and releases people from that. But we're going to be honest. And there's 12 of us in the room, 12 of you in the room and me. And not all of us are clean. So we got to deal with the fact. And the facts are what they are. Jesus says, we're the people who tell people the truth. It's honest love that helps people grow. I'm going to jump ahead. Verse 12. It says, when he had finished washing their feet, he put on his clothes. He returned to his place. He says, do you understand what I've done for you? He asked them, you call me teacher and Lord, and rightly so, because that's what I am. Now that I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also should wash one another's feet. He said, this is a pattern that's a reproducible pattern. I've set you an example that you should do as I've done for you. Very truly, I tell you, no servant is greater than his master. Now I want you to catch this. I'm almost done. I'm gonna land the plane here in just a second. Nor is a messenger greater than the one who sent him. Verse 17, now that you know these things, you'll be blessed. Does that sound right? I should cut us a little short there. He doesn't say, now that you know what it looks like to love, now that you know how that looks, you'll be blessed. And here's our struggle. It'd be very easy to leave this moment and go, oh, that's cool. Now I know that. Now I know that. God's going to bless me. Yeah. That's not the truth. He says, now that you know these things, you'll be blessed if you do them. Now here's what's cool. Jesus has just orchestrated for us a picture of what loving like Jesus is. And for some of us, it's been a little bit tough because you're like, some of those things are not my favorite thing. Some of those loving without giving up, that's not my favorite thing. Loving people who are messy, that's also not my favorite thing. Being willing to take action is certainly not my favorite thing. And, you know, sometimes I get off on telling people the truth, but the reality is it's easier to just not deal with that. And Jesus is saying, but when we do that, when we do that, It unleashes a blessing. It unleashes a empowerment. And here's the thing, I want that for you. Not only do I want that for you, I want that for your family. Not only do I want that for your family, I want that for your neighborhood. Not only do I want that for your neighborhood, I want that for our body, And not only do I want that for our body, I want that for our community. I want us to be the ones who love like Jesus because I know that the the scriptures are clear. It will unleash blessing in you, in us, in our body. And we need that. So you get to the end of this powerful moment and Jesus says, a new command I give you. John 13, verse 34. A new command I give you, love one another as I have loved you. So you must love one another. By this, all men will know that you're my disciples if you love one another. Now listen, there's a couple things that I've read this a hundred times and never really put together. The first is this. This is a new command. That means up until this point, when something's new, it hasn't happened before. It's not the same as old. It's new. So prior to this moment, this has not been the command. Now I know the scriptures are clear of what we should love people, love your neighbor like yourself and all those things predate this moment. But at this moment, Jesus says something new is happening. Now, that's fascinating. I haven't put that together before studying this. So if something new is happening, what is it? Love one another. Well, that's not new. So what's new? Oh, as I have loved you. Because up until this moment, they have never seen God in the flesh, Jesus, the son of God. I like a God in a bod. That will stick with you. They've never seen what it looks like for God in a bod to love somebody. So now this is new, and the model has changed. And yes, we're still to love our neighbor as ourselves. But when we love people, the lens, the filter, the way that we look at how that's done, the way we execute that command is we look at how Jesus modeled it. It's a command. So we don't get to pick. These are the elements of love I'm good with. These are the elements I'm not good with, right? These are the ones that I like, that resonate with me, but these ones aren't me. Something happens when Jesus becomes our model. It changes our lens in every situation. It changes the way we see people. It changes the way we interact with them. It changes the way that we believe in them. It changes what we believe about them. It changes what we believe about about ourselves, and here's a very simple formula. Now listen, I think next year, I'm probably gonna just write a whole series on loving like Jesus because I just I think there's a whole lot more here. I'm just giving you a run by from one story. But from this one story run by, are some very simple truths that if we catch this, it will change the lens, the view through which we look at the relationships and the people that God puts in front of us. And let me just ask you this, which of these things is hard for you? Which of these things are the sticking points for you? Is it hard for you to love without giving up? Have you been the give up personality, right? I'll love, but you know, they ran or they disobeyed or come on, it's been 30, 40 times. The patterns haven't stopped. I'm just done. And Jesus is like, that's not you. We're the love without giving up people. Can you imagine if he gave up on us? We don't give up. Is it hard for us to love who people who are messy? Are you struggling to love messy folks? Come on, are there politics making them unlovable? Are there behaviors making them unlovable? Are there, is there theology making them unlovable? Is there behavior? I don't know, what is it? We love messy people. Jesus stood right next to Judas and for an entire last meal, Gave him opportunity after opportunity to know, hey, I know what's happening here and I have all power and authority and I'm gonna to choose to keep loving you even if you stab me in the back. He sat right next to Peter, experienced the same love. One was able to turn it around. We love people who are messy because we never know who's gonna be able to turn it around. We don't get to make that decision. Some of the messiest people out there are gonna be the ones that turn it around and have impact in the kingdom. And the way you love them when they were messy might make all the difference in the world. I want to spend eternity with some people who were dang messy here on earth. I think they're going to have the best stories. They're going to have the best stories. This is the sticking point for you? It's hard to take action. Pastor Mike, you don't understand. I'm gassed. I got nothing left. But I really wish someone would take this garbage out. I was like, dude, take action. I really wish. Someone would help that person move. Oh, you were available that weekend. I don't know what it is. Do you have to recalibrate your take action a meter? <laughs> Has it been hard to tell people the truth? Have you been having too much fun telling people the truth? That's another problem. It's another day. But it's been hard to just be honest. Say, Peter, you gotta understand what's really going on here. Judas, I know what's happening. Not all of us here are clean, but I still love you. I still love you, but this is the truth. The truth is you're destroying your life with your choices and your behavior, and God has something better for you. And I'm not gonna join you in that mess, but I'm gonna love you no matter what. But I'm not gonna say that it's not a mess, it's a mess. Sometimes we're the people who don't wanna take any side at all. We wanna just stay in the happy neutral zone forever so that everyone can just kinda be happy, and that's not true. Listen, if someone's right and someone else is wrong, we tell the truth. That's who we are. And if there's room and margin for error for both, then you know we bring people together, but we just tell the truth. Someone says, hey, I think this is okay. And we're just like, dude, that's not okay. And we tell the truth. What's the hard part for you? Would you stand? I'm gonna pray. I told you the Lord redirected me and I had no idea how much time it was gonna take, so I owe you guys about five minutes. I'll do better tonight. I hope you come and join us for the uh, annual business meeting we can talk through. We have things to celebrate. Do you know that our name says celebration in it and we don't celebrate enough? And if you don't come and celebrate with us tonight, then you missed it. Don't miss it. I want that for you. So Jesus, in this moment, I just thank you for challenging us, challenging us with a value a basic principle that's one of the keys to unlocking, God, God, your plan here on earth to reach as many people with the love and the truth of your gospel as possible. If we love like you, if we get that part right, if we listen to that command and we love one another, but we do it as you have loved us, it literally, God, your promise is that people will know that we're disciples by how we do this part. It will literally tell the story of you through our lives if we do this right, and we need that. Our community, our neighborhood needs that. Those folks walking their dog need that. Come on, we need that. Our family needs it. So I pray that you challenge us, challenge our lens, challenge the view that we see people through, challenge the view that we see ourselves through, challenge us to love and see in loving relationship through the command as you did it, not as we wanna do it recalibrate us, I pray, so we can get this right, so we could reach as many people as possible with the truth of your love. We thank you for it. Give us strength, I pray, in Jesus' name, amen.